welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have someone with a unique, inspiring story that will hopefully inspire you to get into uh, offensive cybersecurity, other areas of cybersecurity. And today's guest, I'm really happy to have on because uh, Michael Patrick has a really interesting story. We have been connected through social media and InfoSec Twitter to be more specific and just kind of seeing what he's done his hard work payoff and the way he got in, I think it's very inspiring and it's going to be very helpful for those wanting to get started. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on. So why don't you share about yourself, kind of your background? All right. Well, I mean, the transition from one career to the next was very obvious, right? Before this, I owned a pool cleaning business for 12 years. So the natural transition, obviously, is penetration testing, right? So, um, but no, I, I did martial arts for years. I cleaned pools for years, and now I'm doing uh, penetration testing. Um, that's a little bit of background on me. So from from a ninja pool cleaner to a ninja pen tester. So that's <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's not not like an obvious, but you know, like a lot of people getting into the industry that they're pass in aren't always normal. So some people, you know, think about how difficult it can be, how they can't get in with a college degree and all this. Could you kind of share how you, what you did and how you got into, got into pen testing? Yeah, I, I can do that. And and to your point, I mean, there are people who are accountants, there are people who are mayors, right? There, it, there is no, whatever your background, you can make it work. So, but for me, my background was I clean the pools. And I hated every minute of it. I wanted to be the best pool man out there because that's just who I am. I want to be the best. And if I'm not the best, I'm going to make myself the best. That's this kind of work ethic I've, I've had. But I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I get home one day. I'm just reeking, right? Dead of summer, 100 plus degrees outside. I had been working for 12 hours at this point. Not only do I smell bad but I've got like chemical smells on me and I just, I hated every second of it. I get home and I just instantly open the door and start complaining to my wife. And she didn't even let me get like two sentences out. She, she stops me and goes, you're done. You're done complaining. Change your career or complain to someone else. I'm tired of hearing it. And to her, in her defense, she had heard it for years, right? And I took a shower and I, I got changed and I went over and my daughter at this point, I think she was 
two months old, maybe three months old. And I pick her up. No, I'm sorry. She was like just under a year. It doesn't matter. I pick her up. I'm holding her. And I realized my wife was right. I really needed to do something to make a change. I knew that I had always wanted to do to do anything with computers. Didn't matter what it was. So information technology was the path that I decided to go down. I knew that I had always wanted to protect people, to defend others. That has always been a passion of mine. And when I learned cybersecurity was a thing, it just seemed like the natural fit. So I go and I'm looking through different programs because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I knew that whatever I decided on, the it was going to be vast. So I went online and I'm Googling things and I looked between two different universities and I ended up going to Grand Canyon University where I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity. During that time, about a year before I graduated, maybe a year and a half, I had a professor who I had had a couple times and he goes, listen, you know how you just love to dig and you love to continue and strive and you just want to know and you want to keep going? I go, yes. He goes, you're going to be a pen tester. Don't bother looking anywhere else. You're going to be a pen tester. I went, fantastic. What's a pen tester? Right? I had no idea. So anyways, skip a lot of things. YouTube, Udemy, Twitch, Discord, all that happened. I learned enough to realize I don't know anything. So then I got a couple of certificates. I got the eLearn Junior Penetration Tester, and I got the eLearn Certified Professional Penetration Tester. Uh, I earned a CVE ID. Um, and then I started flooding the market with my resume. I sent out about 120 resumes in about a month and a half, maybe, maybe two months and got five interviews and two job offers. And that all happened from 2017 to 2021. That was, that was the time frame. Very cool. And that, and one of the things too, that's, that's not too bad at odds because you hear people submitting more resumes and stuff too. So is there anything you would attribute to that? Cause that's, you know, hundred resumes and getting a couple offers is pretty good. So are there anything that you attribute to that success? No, I agree. I, I, I just uh, talked to a guy on discord who said he sent over 400 resumes and hasn't received an interview yet um, to what I think pushed me over the, the edge was the fact that I was networking a lot. I knew a lot of people. Um, I was friendly with a lot of people. I had helped a lot of people. So using my network to get in front of the right people helped me out a lot as well. And that's because of LinkedIn. That's because of Discord being active, getting to know people. Um, you don't network to get something. You network to make friends, to help people. The more you help, the better off you will be. And it, it's not a one-way street. And I think because I had that mentality, people were more willing to help me out also. There's a friend of mine, and I don't know if he's okay with me saying his name or not, so he knows who he is when he listens to this. He actually put me in front of 
the guy who is now my manager. And that is what actually pushed me over the edge. And because of that, I was actually able to, um, I don't know if I bypassed the HR filter, but knowing him absolutely helped me out a lot. One thing that also helped that I've actually been complimented on a few times is the fact that I had no job experience. I had no OSCP. What pushed me over the edge was the fact that I turned what I was doing into experience on my resume. So I had a section that read non-traditional experience. And on there, I had my home lab. I had how I built an active directory environment. I had my rank on hack the box. I had my rank on try hack me. I had my CVE ID. And then I also had that I had all these certificates underneath it with my bachelor's degree and making myself more presentable in that regard mixed with the fact that I was able to network and have some friends who helped me out, not just people, whatever, just actual friends, people who I still talk to. That was what was able to push me over the edge and get me to where I am today. Yeah, that's great. I kind of knew you, that networking was your background. I just wanted to hear for the listeners to hear that from you. And one of the things too, you know, I have to, I, I'm pretty sure too, is if you said this started from 2017 to 2000. 21, but I'm sure probably the most of the effectiveness and the more you really got out of it's probably been, was the last year or six months as you got mm-hmm. more connected in the community and made those connections. I'm sure they had a lot to do with it. So for those out there listening, networking is huge. I see a lot of people on LinkedIn that are having a hard time and just try to share with them, you know, you need to really get out there and network because like you mentioned, bypassing the HR firewall and a prime example of that is back in back before I went to work for for US Bank, I'd also applied for Bank of the America Bank of America. I had my OSCP, SANS GWPT cert, over five years, well, five years worth of consulting as a penetration tester. And I never I, it took a year before they ever called me. And that's because I was applying for a job online. Mm-hmm. The job at Bank of America, I met someone at a OWASP Dallas chapter meeting. They said U.S. Bank was hiring. I gave them my resume. He gave it to the hiring manager. I got called, I got interviewed, and got a job offer. And, you know, like you mentioned, the HR firewall, when you have to upload a resume, it's looking for keywords and these certain algorithms to see if you're a fit. And it's not always the best for looking for those fits. Right. And so, yeah, so that's definitely great that you're sharing that for anyone listening. Make sure you realize that networking, get out there, meet people, and and that's going to make it a lot easier because, you know, that's like at my job, I go beyond just getting jobs through networking myself. Most of my jobs have been through networking, but help others. I mean, at my job now, I think I've helped like four people, four people in, in our group get jobs this time while I was at US, well, a combination of the time I was at US Bank before and now. And then also I recommended and referred a couple of people that got hired and, you know, two or three other people in other groups. Yeah, like three people in another group. So that networking, you know, paying paying forward and helping others out and just making that network is going to make it easy for people to find a job. And you're going to find out after you, since now you've got the experience, one day if you ever want to move, it's going to be even a lot easier now for you because you got 
the the experience and people are going to be reaching out to you plus the networking is just going to make make it tons easier for you next time yeah and and to be fair though i now i've only been employed for about three months now that being said i really like where i am and i can honestly see myself staying here forever but if big if the time comes where I need to move on or I want to move on or whatever, it'll be much easier the next time. The first one, just like almost anything, really, the first one is always the hardest. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about you too, because we're not going to share this here, but you know, your salary for an entry level role, or maybe not, it may not be an entry level role, but your pen testing role, the the salary you got paid for your very first pen testing job, that's enough not to to motivate you to go somewhere else because a lot of folks will, you know, I know a lot of people I know that are getting entry level or junior level pen testing roles and other roles in like the Texas area are starting out at like 60 K. And then when you get those little 3% bumps, it takes a while to hit the six figure mark. And so people in those positions sometimes will have to, you know, move jobs to make up for it, you know, otherwise they'll never get where they want to, but that's really good that you got, you know, good compensation starting out. So there's really, you know, and you get in training. So there's really not a lot of reason to, you know, look anywhere else as long as they keep you, as long as they keep you engaged and you're interested in what you're doing, you know, so that's, that's a win-win. Absolutely. Absolutely. So based on your experience, why don't you, you know, you kind of mentioned that you had some certifications and stuff. Uh, So if you could kind of share you know, a little more detail about your path. You know, you went, you went to college to get a, to get a degree and then you took these courses. So could you kind of, uh, you know, map out what you did education wise. And then if there's anything you would recommend anything that you've learned that you might do different based on your experience. So, excuse me, the way I started, like you said, college, while I was in college, it, basically showed me what I didn't know and I wanted to go fill in the gaps. So I went onto YouTube and I found people like the cyber mentor. I found people like hacker exploit, um, XSS rat, you, right. Um, obviously not, but you know what I mean? I found you eventually. And yeah. And I love your book, by the way, not a plug. Get a book. (laughs) Um, but Filling in those gaps made me realize that there's even more to learn. So I went and online, on YouTube, I should say, I saw the Cyber Mentor and I saw that he had a Discord. I had never heard of Discord at this point. So I signed up and I joined his Discord and, and I realized that there's a lot of resources in there too, a lot of people that want to help. And then I learned that he created what he calls the Practical Ethical Hacker Course and he put it on Udemy at the time. This is before he had his own platform. So I get on Udemy and I purchased that and I go through it and I loved it. And that helped out a lot while I'm there. I also found a bunch of different courses. So I found some burp suite ones. I found some bug bounty ones. I've still never done a bug bounty, um, but I found courses for them. Uh, Linux enumeration, Linux privilege escalation. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, you know, Tiberius, his two courses for Windows and Linux privilege escalations are fantastic. Um, there's a gentleman who has courses by the name of Jesse Curris, I believe is how you pronounce it. His courses are amazing. Um, that helped me out a lot. From there, 
I just went back to YouTube to try to learn more and more. And then I went on to try hack me on try hack me. That's where I learned a lot. And what I love about try hack me is the fact that when you're first starting out, they hold your hand. They say, here you go. Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. Here's where you can go to learn some more. From there, I tried to do hack the box. They don't hold your hand. Well, at the time they didn't hold your hand as much. Now I'm realizing that a little bit more, but I started doing that. And then I applied for the, not applied, I purchased the PWK to earn the OSCP. Uh, at this point, somewhere in there, I forget where exactly, I found someone who wanted to be my mentor. My mentor is Joe Helly. That is not a secret, really. That's been, that's common knowledge if you follow us on Twitter. Um, Joe Helly was amazing. He helped me out a lot. He uh, pushed me towards virtual hacking labs, which is not cheap, but if you can afford it, that is one thing that I strongly recommend. It is a fantastic website, fantastic resource. Um, long story short, I failed the OSCP three times and it was awful, right? But from there, Joe introduced me to a gentleman named Don Donzel. And Don introduced me to, well, he didn't, I had heard of INE, I had heard of eLearn, but I hadn't actually seen it. Um, he encouraged me to get an account. So I did. And, and from there, I started learning more on INE, their platform. And I learned a lot, took notes, um, obviously. And from there, I earned my EJPT. And then I continued forward. I wanted to see if I could do the ECPPT as well. So I took that course and it was, it was a great course. And I took it and my first try, I passed it. And what I liked about that was it felt like an actual pen test. You had to go through, you had to break in, you had to pivot. It wasn't a CTF like the OSCP was. And, you know, the restrict, there weren't nearly as many restrictions with the ECPPT and it just felt more natural. It felt like, it felt like a good course. So that's kind of why I went the way I did. Um, if I had to do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I would start with YouTube. I would immediately go to TCM Academy and buy all of their courses, go through all of their courses. And then from there, I would go to Try Hack Me and then I would go to Virtual Hacking Labs. That'll give you enough to wet your palate and know quite a bit to help you out. Somewhere in there, I would add Port Swigger Academy. That is a fantastic resource. I live on Port Swigger Academy, basically. I always have it up. And they have, it's just, that's also amazing. So somewhere in that timeline, whatever you do, however you do it, I would encourage you to also have Port Swigger Academy going. As far as certificates go, um, it really is up to you. I would say look where you're looking to get hired and see what they're asking for. Don't just get a certificate because someone says it's the best. Don't just get the OSTP. You might not need it. That's just a waste of money. 
don't just get the ECPPT. They might not even know what that is. So look around, look at the jobs in the area that you want to work in, see what they're requiring, and then go from there. Yeah, that's that's some great advice because, you know, there's other certifications that if people don't understand pen testing, you know, they may go after the CEH thinking that's going to be their foot in the door and they don't realize that, you know, that's a pretty expensive exam just for the exam alone. I think it's like twelve or $1,300 for for an exam take, I believe, an exam attempt. <laughs> so, yeah, you look at some of these things and, yeah, so that's, that's good advice to look at what's being offered out there. And like you mentioned, some of the cyber mentor stuff on TCM Academy, you know, that's a cert that's starting to get more recognized. I mean, I was noticing a while back that like Tenable, the makers of uh, Nessus were actually listing that as one of the certs for a job they had. So, so that's yeah, awesome. it's, yeah. So it's good to see that that's catching on and, mm-hmm. and that there's, there's options out there, you know, cause for the longest time, you know, a lot of people get started and they don't haven't done any research or research the right places. They end up doing things like, you know, the CEH or something to get started and kind of go down some, some wrong trails. I was starting to go down that trail. And then um, thankfully as part of a community that said, stop it. Are you going to work for the government? That's pretty much the only reason you would need the CEH unless you're in India. Then if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that is then almost everything they require the CEH. So again, it depends on where you are. Yeah. So as far as, you know, a question people always ask all the time. So, uh, like be able to script or program, do you think someone needs to learn, know how to program or script if they're going to get a job pen testing? Yeah. So as far as my programming or scripting, scripting skills go, I have no programming or scripting skills. There's um, not for lack of trying. I know enough Python to know what it's doing. And I know enough Python to manipulate it for my own needs whatever the script is that I find off of GitHub or, or wherever else. But as far as writing my own, I don't know how to do that. Um, same thing with Ruby, C, any, any language you can think of. Um, I don't have it. It'll help. It'll absolutely help you. But it's not, it's not required. You should know enough to be able to read it. Um, hopefully enough. Like I, I, I feel that I would have a more of an edge. I would feel better prepared in the long run if I were, was able to write in Python or, or whatever else. But I don't, it's not necessarily a requirement. At least that's what I've experienced. I know that um, there are people who are learning how to script by just doing it, right? Like, Joe, Joe Helly, not to bring him up again, but how many tools has he released in like a month and a half? Like 70, yeah, he's, 75, 80. Oh, really? okay. <laughs> I know there's been quite a few. I've been really noticing that, you know, he's coming out with some, mm-hmm. some cool stuff. And, and another good tip I know that I think that you got for him was the, the CVE tip. So if you mm-hmm. want to explain to our listeners what you did there and explain maybe what a CVE is for those that don't know what a CVE is. Yeah, so <clears throat> so to start, the way I did it um, was 
the way the way that you start looking for a CVE ID is you go and you basically just look up um, a free and open source software. So FOSS is what you would Google. Um, and then uh, you just kind of look to see which one you want and then see how to download it and think, go from there. Um, and I'm, I'm butchering it. I'm trying to remember exactly how how it was laid out. Joe had an article on exactly what he did and how he did it. And it was perfect and it was beautiful. Um, but the, the idea behind it is you go and you find something that's got an MIT license because those are open source on GitHub. If I'm not mistaken, I might be, forgive me if I am. Um, so free and open source software, FOSS accounting or hotel management or restaurant management or whatever, right? And then they have a bunch of programs. You download it to get it up and running. And then from there, you just kind of poke around. You just kind of have fun, see what you can find. You're, everything you find will most likely be a zero day because it hasn't been disclosed at this point. So in my case, I was able to find a stored cross-site scripting um, vulnerability in the back end of it you needed admin credentials, but how many people are not changing the, the uh, default admin admin credentials, right? Too many. So that's not too hard to find. Um, but I went there and then I, I submitted it. I, in Joe's article, if you can find it, it shows you exactly how to submit it. Now, beforehand, you want to make sure you understand their, their disclosure uh, policy perfectly because they might say, before you disclose it, we need to talk. Before you disclose it, we need 60 days. Before you disclose it, we need whatever, fill in the blanks, right? You want to follow that to the T. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I reached out. And I said, look, this is what I found. Um, I searched everywhere, could not find a vulnerability um, disclosure agreement anywhere that you had. So I intend to submit this right away. Please contact me so I can help you with this. I want to help you fix this. This is a vulnerability that doesn't need to be there. But I found it. Here's where I found it. Here's how I found it. They never got back to me. And I submitted it immediately after I sent that email to them. About a week and a half later, I get an email from Miter saying, here's your CVE ID. Sweet. Put it on my resume. And CVE, I apologize, CVE stands for Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures. So every year, the way it's, it goes, CVE, the year, so now we're in 2022. So it'll be CVE-2022-the ID of the vulnerability. And that's kind of how it works. Very cool. And so... I, I would assume that that probably helped you in a big way getting your job. So uh, is that correct? Am I correct in my thinking? Oh yeah. That was, that was a big talking point for every interview I had was, Oh, you've got a CVE ID. I don't think anyone here has one. How'd you do it? And so I kind <laughs> of explained the same process. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Cause you know, a lot of people that work in pen testing don't have CVE. So that's really cool. That's, that that's good to have. And, you know, you'll see a lot of people, researchers that, you know, will 
talk about their CVE. So that's kind of good and nice to have before, you know, you have the actual professional experience. You've got something like that. It's definitely showing the potential employer that you know how to find vulnerabilities, even stuff that's undocumented, you know, finding stuff that is out there and documented with a vulnerability scanner or doing, looking for known vulnerabilities, you know, is a little more easier. And so that's pretty cool. The other thing it shows is, <clears throat> the other thing it showed was my dedication. It showed that I'm not just trying to get a job to get a job. It showed that I'm interested. It showed that I'm wanting to continually learn and I'm wanting to continually push myself. And so that's something else is if you can show that you don't just want an income, if you don't just want the job, you love the work itself, you love pen testing, you love having anything to do with InfoSec, then that'll come across and that'll help push you over the edge also. Yeah, that's very great, great advice. So we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there any advice or comments or anything you'd like to share before we end? Um, you don't know what you don't know. So keep learning. Join a community. I prefer Discord. It doesn't have to be Discord. Get in touch with people. Help them. Don't just help. Don't just ask for help. You want to extend help to other people. You want to show that you're willing to contribute. That'll help people want to help you more. The more you help, the more you'll learn. And then you'll realize you might, you might feel like you don't know anything, but you're way above someone who's just getting started. So then you help them do the same thing. By helping everyone continue to learn, by helping a community grow, we can get in and by what I mean by that is we can get into these jobs that previously said, oh, you need five years, oh, you need this, oh, you need that. And, and these gatekeepers making it difficult to get a job. We can help each other not only break down these gates and get into a job, but we can make a revolving, like not a revolving door, we can make a door that we can just keep open to help other people get in, right? So basically the advice I have is help others and contribute and join a community make some friends you don't have to be an extrovert to do that and that I think would be the biggest piece of advice because everything else can come everything else can come with time uh, but if you're in a community they will help guide you and you can help them as well so I think that would be my biggest piece of advice Yes, that's some very solid advice there. So thanks for taking the time to, to share your story and your, your knowledge with our listeners. Oh, thank you for having me, Phil. It was absolute pleasure. And I know as soon as we're done, I'm going to think of something else that I should have said or said different. So that'll be fun to mull around in my mind too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to share that with me when you come up with something. So thanks again. Thank thanks you. everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at BugCrowd.com.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.